you can look around. I don't know if the Internet can see it, but I've got 25 feet of scaffolding going all over here and another 25 feet behind there. That's why we have shifted. And uh, today there is no uh, magic, not magic, holy rotating platinum uh, dry erase board because, uh, yeah, I know, it's really hard. I have the pen in my hand because if I don't have a pen in my hand, I can't talk. I learned that many years ago. So we're trying to function. There's still a lot of construction going on. And as uh, Bill the Cow said, we're evaluating, we're doing a risk assessment every three or four seconds in this building. Uh, let me say this. If, if, if another one of these things hit, do not stay in this auditorium. Get into that foyer. I'll cover that a little bit as we go along, just for the, the Internet people have sent me a few uh, letters. They're very funny, some of them, and um, I'll, co- I'll throw a couple at you here. But uh, we do have aftershocks going. They say there's going to be thousands of them, as you know. Uh, and so uh, there's no reason to stay in this auditorium at all. That scaffolding will come down. This one will come down. Everything will fall on top of you. So get ahead of De- Jenna. She's going to be the slowest. Baby will come come on Christmas Eve, so most of us should be able to beat Jenna into the foyer and shut the doors. I mean, we should be fine. So always find that slow person when the grizzly is after you, right? That's Everyone knows that. That's just basic system. Okay, you've probably heard the weather report as well. I haven't even started the lecture, have I? Uh, we're supposed to get a blizzard, maybe as much as 12 inches of snow tonight. So first we get an earthquake, and then we got 60-mile-an-hour winds, and now we're getting 12 inches of snow. And then on Monday, who knows? Rain. Rain. It'll probably rain on Monday. Uh, So welcome to Alaska. Please visit. Hey, all of you, come on up here. See what you think. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. um, I'll just start it here really fast. December the 2nd, 2018, lecture discussion number 46 on the book of Joel. I just got a couple. I won't go because I've got a lot to deal with. Um, But uh, let me just read this one. Hello, Cliffside. I hope and pray that you all made it through the earthquake unharmed and that your local Kentucky Fried Chicken outlet survived. I have been listening and downloading for a year and a half or so and would hate to see the earth take you out. It seems you're all okay from the book face page, but it's hard to tell from the please sign up thing blocking most of the page. Just thought I'd point that out to uh, Dave who didn't hear it. (laughs) I get all the sermons from your website just so you know who it is. Thanks again for your teaching and please don't stop Vic from Greenfield, New Hampshire. I think, yes. And then this is from Stuart. Thank you, uh, you guys at Cliffside, for the wonderful sermons which are nourishing me abundantly during the, during the early days of my faith in Christ. I listen in all the way from Ireland. May God bless your services through his precious word. So just thought you'd like to know that, um, and I got a few more, but we'll bring them in next week, I think, because I'm going to be pressed for time here today. Point of it is, is that we are receiving well wishes from all over the world, um, and that is very much appreciated. Okay, well now we're in the book of Joel, aren't we? How convenient to the prophecy of Joel, and considering that the earthquake, uh, I think they finally res- resolved it at 7.2. Is that correct? Uh, considering the earthquake, the 7.2 earthquake that struck on Friday morning. And I don't know where you were, but I was outside. I have a primary useful function in my household. That's collecting the after effects of feeding large dogs. I have that job. I'm really good at it. Uh, I demonstrate a high level of efficiency. My techniques are held in high esteem by all those who are confronted with this kind of a problem. People want me to write books on theology, but I I could make money on on dog excrement removal. I I think I'm good. I'm really good at it. I, I'm not kidding. I'm a master. We're going to examine, not so much today, I just have to bring it up, Joel 2.10. That is the earthquakes before them. And there are going to be more on Joel, especially 2.10 in a minute. But let me cover this part first. 
It's uh, Anchorage, Alaska, as you guys all know. You were all here. It's 8.30 in the morning. It's November 30th, so it's dark. This is mostly for you folks on the Internet. It's dark now. We've got less than five. We've got about, what, five and a half hours of daylight now. And it's going to get shorter. So uh, you can see okay here because the snow cover provides ref- reflective light. And I'm outside, uh, as I said, doing what I do best of all things. And the noise comes. I'm outside and I, I have the noise full blast. And I know the noise because I heard the noise March the 27th, 1964. I've been through a lot of earthquakes up here. I've never heard the noise. I've heard it only on March 27th, 1964, and then on Friday. So as soon as it hits, I understand what produces that kind of sound. And again, as I said, I was outside, which gave me even a more enhanced uh, opportunity. And many of you, I don't know how many were here in 64, Bill and Bonnie aren't here, but you guys were, the, Ken and Cindy. Marie, were you here in 64? No? Well, 64 was a 9.2, and that was a different beast. It is impossible to explain it. You had to go through it, and you never forget the noise. And so as soon as I heard that sound, I said, this is not like any other earthquake I have experienced in Alaska in all these years. This is going to be different. And I knew it was coming. And I'm outside the house. I've got grandchildren. I've got my wife in there. Um, I've got dogs outside. And this is a problem for me. And I know what problem is going to be. I was upstairs in 1964. I had to get downstairs, and that was almost impossible. In 1964, the 9.2, the duration was five and a half minutes of 9.2. That is impossible, as I said, to explain. My first thoughts were, if this is a reprise of that on Friday, then the world, my world, the Anchorage world, was about to be overwhelmed. Anchorage is... Uh, 350,000 back in 64 is barely 40,000, I believe. They counted. We weren't even, Spinard was a different city than Anchorage. Two different boroughs. Eagle River wasn't, wasn't hardly anything. There was hardly any Wasilla. Um, Palmer was very small. So I knew this Anchorage this size now is particularly vulnerable. And that meant there would be no communications. Every teenage girl would lose her cell phone. Okay, so there is a good side here. But seriously, everything would go but ham radio, because that's what happened last time. There would be no heat, there no water, no roads, no electricity, no food. You know what happened to the food in the on this with this seven point two. If you went to Fred Meyer or or any of the grocery stores, uh, you saw what happened to the food. So there's no food. Uh, There's no shipping. There's no dock. There's no railroad. There's no roadbed. My father worked for the railroad in those days, and he was gone for months. Come back every couple of weeks. There was nothing. Uh, and Anchorage Natural Gas had just begun to put gas systems into this, and so all of those broke. And the gas fires ultimately burned the debris. But in Anchorage today, gas is everywhere. There's thousands of miles of gas lines. All of it would have come loose if it was 1964. Fires everywhere. So I'm calculating. It's going through my little tiny head. What do I what I got to do? I got to turn the gas off. I got to cut the seal on the breaker box and disconnect and throw the disconnect. Get the electricity off the house. Get the gas off the house. I've got to do that. Problem I've got is that the door to the gas is locked. It's an outside door. And I have come down the upstairs deck. So I'm, I came down the outside stairs. And my only option now is to get back into the house. I've got to get into the house. I've got to go down, go through the garage, and kill all of those utilities as much as I can. And you guys on the vast Internet audience, you should know... That's the only option. I've got to get back in the house. And you should know that the uh, there's experts that say don't... Go into the house. They don't advise that. 
And many people didn't go into their houses. They all ran out. You watch these little videos. They all ran out, out into their yards, in the snow, into the streets. I have a different perspective. We lived on Lord Baranoff in Turnigan. There's a street. Lord Baranoff went down like this and went up like this, and we were at the bottom on the flat ground. We had a little fantastic, fantastic little flat piece of land there. That's why my dad chose it. In a 9.2, what do you think happens to the parked cars that are outside? They start bouncing. They don't sit in the driveways. Nothing stays still. Everything moves. It's like being in a bouncy house or a trampoline. Everything is moving. So their only option is to get back in the house because I've heard this noise before. A nine-point throws cars. It throws throw locomotives around. It's going to throw things around like little tiny toys. Street lights. All the street lights are going to fall. The houses are going to be ripped apart by fissures. We sat in our house and watched the fissures come towards it. As they're coming through, we had time. We're talking to each other. We had five and a half minutes. And those fissures came. And that's what I think is going to happen again because why? I heard the same noise. That noise was unbelievable. Was anybody else outside during that time? You, it, it's, I wish you had heard it. Because then you would understand. And you would know. But houses in 1964 were ripped to pieces by the fissures. We're watching them come towards the house. We're running from one side of the house to the other side of the house because you could see this fissure coming. And everything it hit, the trees, it just split the trees in half, fly towards the house. And, and when it hit the house, it cuts right through the house like a, like a chainsaw blade. And we run over to this side, and another one comes, and we run over to that side. All the windows are broken. The fireplace system collapses. It's a mess. Everything is, there's nothing, there's no cabinets, there's nothing, no refrigerator door, everything is gone. Nothing, some of you guys are talking to me about how the plates stayed on the shelves in some of your houses. Well, fantastic. That's really good. 1964, they lost walls. And um, it was a, a dramatic time. And that is in my head. And I know that a one-eyed fat man is not going to fare well outside. So I chose instead to gather the dogs and run up the stairway system that I built and Lori and Jane built. Jane and Lori lifted it up into position while I stood back and evaluated. Not it was square. thing weighs about 500 pounds probably. It's really good. Well over 300. That's how I build stairway systems. Because I want them to last during a fire. I have lots of reasons for my weirdness. So I go up that stairway system, and immediately the 11-year-old black lab, Abigail, thought this was a poor decision, and she laid right down, boom. And if you know her, she now you've got to drag her. She's not going to move. And we discussed the issue for a few seconds. I'm trying to explain to her the thermodynamic issues that we're about to face here. And, and fortunately, I prevailed. And, uh, and so halfway up the 16-foot sta stairway, it's 16-foot long, halfway up, there's three uh, carriages in there. And they're all double carriages, so they're 4 by 12 carriages. And so um, I'm going up the stairway uh, with this recalcitrant, recalcitrant dog, not as just, just disobedient, insubordinate, 80-pound, reluctant lab. And it's... And I knew it wasn't a 9.2 right then. Because I'm running up a flight of stairs carrying a dog. The other dog thinks, wow, I wish I could have a ride. <laughs> but, and so I have prima facie evidence that this is not going to be a 9.2. But what threw me off was the sound matched. And I didn't learn till later why that's so. But not the power. The power was not the same. So I knew then I could get the grandchildren and, and get their mother upstairs and I could disable the gas and the electric. Uh, if the quake were to increase in intensity, I, I would recognize it. And it wasn't doing that. It had already gone on for quite some time, 20, 30 seconds by that time. And it did not. It wasn't the same. So Lori went uh, for Anna and her 19 children. 
Okay, there's just three of them, but if you've been with them, you know that they they multiply. It seems like 19, and we all huddled together in the house. And and in that house that I have done, I've done it to every commercial building, every residential building that I've been involved with. I've done hundreds of thousands of square feet. And that house is sheared off with plywood. What I mean by that is underneath the sheetrock, all of the interior walls, all the closets, every ceiling has got plywood on it. I got double king studs and double trimmers on every door opening, every pass through. Each door header is a four by twelve. All beams and all beam support pockets are timber locked. The interconnecting intersecting wall systems are timber locked. And yes, timber locked is a verb. In other words, you punch a wall in a house that I've built, you're going to break your hand. That's the plan. I had teenage boys throwing spears at each other. So I fixed all of that. Uh, punch a wall in my house and you're, you're not going to do it again. Underneath the sheetrock, as I said, is plywood. There's three inch outside edge. I'm sorry. Yes, three inch outside edge nailing um, and six inch field nailing schedule. All the panel edges are diaphragm blocked. That means there's a two by four or two by six on the panel edge of this piece of plywood and on the panel edge of that piece of plywood. And they're all diaphragm together. And if you're listening carefully to me right now and you're listening also, you can hear the Internet shout, who cares? And you may ask, why do I build houses this way? And the answer is 1964, May the 27th, 9.2. Five and a half minutes that went on. We had whole conversations about what it was. We were able to run around and look at stuff. It was amazing. When I say run, I mean crawl. But you were, and I realize again that everyone listening to this probably won't care except for Shannon in Texas. Hi, Shannon. I know he will. He knows that timber locked is a verb. Timber locking. There's past, present tense of timber lock. A 9.2 with five and a half minutes of opportunity will destroy my house. It will destroy any house. All I'm actually accomplishing by all of this plywood is to stop the teenage children, cut the noise down, and buy time and produce cavities. That's what I'm doing. Because I know the house is collapsing if it gets hit like by this thing again. And my, essentially what I'm doing is I'm, I built a land boat uh, that allows me time to get to the utilities to stop the fires. What you don't know is the sewage system depends on what? Electricity. If you don't have electricity, you don't have a sewage system. So what happens to the sewage system? What's the first thing I said, Anna? Don't flush the toilets. Because if the sewage system is, has failed, what will happen to the sewage? Yeah, not good. You'll fill your crawl space up. In fact, if you do a good job and your system is still together... The sewage from the neighbors will fill your crawl space. So you have to be aware of that. So the first thing you do is run to the neighbors and say, stop flushing your toilet into my crawl space. Depending on where you are located, because we all know the the rule of plumbing, right? It runs downhill. So you have to figure that out. So anyway, uh, 9.2 earthquakes are going to demolish every foundation. They're going to move the houses around. I love the hold down thing. The hold down thing is I put in thousands and thousands of hold downs. Uh, I know, however, that those hold downs are not going to survive a 9.2 for five and a half minutes. And that thing's coming off the foundation that has been completely wiped out. And my plan, of course, is just to keep the boat, the land boat, from breaking apart as long as possible. That's why I do it. In this case, it was pretty simple. 7.2, about a minute and a half. The epicenter was shallow, as you know. It was very close to us. It was maybe 40 to 60 miles north, and that's why we had the same sound. The other one was 150 miles away out in the ocean and a lot deeper. So we had the same sound, and now everybody in Anchorage knows the sound. 
And the damage is, is very high. Buildings are in, are, have been compromised. They're not safe. Schools don't, won't open now probably a couple more weeks. The university is shut down. Uh, non-essential employees, which uh, I should, oh, I shouldn't say that. That's everybody who works for the government. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> they're, they're not going to work. Oh, big surprise. <laughs> I can't wait for the mail. But there are no fatalities. None. Um, McDonald's stayed open. Pizza delivery guys were everywhere. They made a fortune. Think about that. 7.2 earthquake and McDonald's and the pizza guys are going for it. And there's Alaska right there. Huh? We can lose everything but McDonald's and the pizza guys. We'd be fine. We have, I have friends that were plumbing contractors. They're, they're working. Conventional water heaters just got, got ripped out of houses and flooded the houses and they broke loose. Even with all that, really, you gotta, you gotta have that strapping, right? Earthquake strapping. All my books, I have hundreds and hundreds of books. They all ended up on the floor. Um, Took me almost three, four hours to get it. Broken glass everywhere for us. Uh, my Lord's floral. I see that you escaped the broken glass plan. Good for you. You must own the place. <laughs> they just, uh, Travis was on the phone with, when I called Dave or he was nearby. He said, you want to buy some glass? Uh, I see. sell it by the bag full. Um, supermarkets a mess. The bridges are busted. Roads are torn to pieces up here. No fatalities. McDonald's still going. Pizza. It could have been so much worse. Uh, everybody was scared. None of us sleep. Children and the animals, the dogs, the horses. That's what we've got. Uh, little Aubrey Rose just cried and cried and cried last night. I told her the house would last at least four and a half minutes. That seemed to really help. <laughs> but anyway, we're okay. So what did we learn? Well, once again, we're reminded that this world is not stable. So now a bunch of questions come out. Earthquakes bring understanding of the profound truth that the world is not stable. A great earthquake, Matthew 28, 2, behold, there was a great earthquake. That is at the resurrection of Christ. It's not an accident that the earth shakes at this event. A second earthquake associated with Christ's death, uh, Matthew 27, 51. The first one, I said that wrong. Two earthquakes at death and resurrection. The first one splits rocks. Graves are opened. Saints are resurrected. I, I'm hearing kind of a goofy sound. I'm not sure what it is. Let me drop this a bit. little feedback. Matthew 28.2 is the angel of the Lord. Who is that? I'd write it on the board. I don't have my board here because we just don't want to deal with it today, but I have to have my dry erase marker or I can't talk. The angel of the Lord is at 28.2 at that earthquake. That is Jesus Christ himself. And what does he do? Tells you what he does. He moves the stone. What's the obvious question? Why does he move his stone from his grave? It's not the earthquake that does it. It tells you specifically it's the angel of the Lord. It is Christ himself who moves the stone and sits on it. And what happens to the Romans when they see that? Yes, ma'am. Oh, you're just looking? Okay. I'm not sure. Sounds like it's in the mains, so maybe we can drop the mains just a little bit. <coughs> oh, I can do that. Let's try that. That's off. Good. Okay, that might work. Let's hope it does. Jesus Christ opens his own grave. What's the reason? Because what's the contrast or what's the comparison? Resurrection of Christ and the 
Resurrection of Lazarus. Hopefully it's for me. My retirement plan, which is the lottery. Hopefully maybe that works out. Jesus Christ opens his own grave, but he does not open Lazarus's grave, and he has somebody else open Lazarus's grave. Why does Jesus Christ open his own grave? What's the answer? You can do it. Nobody else can open that grave. He has to open it. Leads to a lot of questions. He descends and rolls away the stone in front of his grave from his tomb, as opposed to Lazarus, John eleven thirty nine. Note that Christ is not in his tomb. Oh, my gosh, duh. He's on the outside rolling it away. The point is finally a point. Good, God specifically places earthquakes into the context, into the midst of extraordinary events, the greatest of events, the crucifixion, the resurrection being, being foremost. But also Ezekiel 38, there's an earthquake. Matthew 24, 7. Revelation 11:13, as you know, the 7,000. The seventh bold judgment of Revelation. Revelation 16, 17 through 21. I mean, everything goes. No mountains, no islands. It all goes. Build your house on a mountain. See how that works. But the crucifixion and the resurrection, clearly the most significant, and there are earthquakes. And, and therefore, this arises the principal question. Why earthquakes? What is the meaning of earthquakes? And I'm glad you asked. Because, as you know, everything returns where? Genesis 3. And in this case, I'm writing on the board, Genesis 3.17. That's why earthquakes. So if somebody says, why are there earthquakes? You say back to them, Genesis 3.17. Jesus Christ is the presiding judge. There's a trial at Genesis 3. The trial of Adam, the trial of the woman, and the trial of Satan. All of them undergo a trial when Christ is the presiding judge of all. And he says to Adam, that uh, says to Adam, cursed is the ground for your sake. And the word ground is the same word as earth. Cursed is the earth for your sake. And the key there, as you know, because you've made, heard me say this hundreds and hundreds of times, is that Adam was not cursed. The ground was cursed. And most who read this verse assume the curse of the earth is limited to agricultural impacts, boll weevils and aphids and fruit flies and mold and such things. That's the curse. Thorns, thistles. And that's the limit of it. You've got to work harder to grow an apple or a carrot or whatever. That's the end of the curse. It has a food system. But clearly, that can't be the case. The curse of the earth, Romans 8.22, extends to the entire creation that groans. And obviously, Adam was not cursed. The earth was cursed. Ask why. Is there anything else he could have cursed besides the earth in your estimate? He cannot because this is, he's omniscient. This is the only thing that can be cursed. Adam is not to be cursed. Eve is not to be cursed because of their confession. You've all heard that lecture before. But the earth is cursed. Satan was directly cursed himself. So you have that as a comparison. And you knew all of that. But start thinking, why the earth? You have lots of clues there. And ask the question this way. What is the totality of this substitutionary curse of the earth? Notice how I said that. Use that word on purpose. Adam was, Satan was cursed. Adam's not. Instead, the earth is. There's a substitutionary aspect here. And how far reaching is it? It is for Adam's sake. How is it for Adam's sake? And obviously, I'm proposing that earthquakes are a sign of something that the earth is a sign for mankind, for the sake of mankind, that the earth is cursed. Every time there's an earthquake, what do I do? 
Earth is cursed. I had a parent say to me, well, God decided to shake the earth. Well, maybe. God has the capability of doing that, and it seems that he might do it at the crucifixion and at the resurrection and in the seventh bowl when there's no doubt that he's doing it. But the earth shakes because it's cursed for the sake of mankind. And earthquakes are a sign of, that is for human beings. The Bible is filled with earthquake references and they are incredibly important to us. And we're to know something because of it. Earthquakes connect to the seventh sign of John, which is Lazarus, the first, who's the first sign of Jonah. John 11, 14, 15. And then Jesus Christ said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead and I am glad for your sakes. That connects it to Genesis 3.17. Genesis 3.17 is, is the cursing of the earth. Earthquakes are part of the cursing of the earth, if, if not the most significant sign. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. I'd be writing that now if I could write that. I was not there that you may believe. Jesus Christ, the judge of all trials, repeats for your sake. He said it at the trial of Adam in Genesis 3.17. He repeats it at John 11.15. Do you think the rememberer, the omniscient rememberer of all things, Luke 23:42, the one who writes the names into the book of life, do you think he remembers what he said to Adam at Genesis 3:17? I know it was a long time ago, that's heresy. Obviously Christ, who is never not omniscient, uses the same phrase he uses for Adam with the apostles at John eleven fifteen. So conclude yes, Christ remembers. Genesis three seventeen then and John eleven fourteen and fifteen have this extraordinary association, its purpose, it's of a magnitude we can't even imagine. When you attach Genesis three seventeen to something in Scripture, you're doing something really special. The curse of the earth, the imposition of physical death, and the seventh sign of the Gospel of John, the death and resurrection of, of Lazarus, for your sake, all together. So what does an earthquake say to humanity, to us? Well, on Friday, it said to Anchorage, again, the ground is not dependable. Stop thinking the ground is dependable. If you think the ground is dependable, you are miserably deluded, and it is love to tell you so. The earth shifts. Just as soon as you think it doesn't, you're fighting with a dog trying to go up a stairway. The, earth, the dog knows the earth is not dependable. You should watch her. She is convinced the earth is not dependable. Whenever now an aftershock comes, the dog makes sure that we know her opinion. Uh, there's no doubt in her mind. However, human beings go, huh, I'll drive deeper piling. I'll ride it out. I'll put plywood on it. It's going to work. Stop thinking the earth is dependable. When the earth is shifting, we are given the lesson that there is no permanency. You cannot achieve permanency because the earth shifts. The projects of men, as you know, as we all know, are subjected, subjected to the forces of ruin, death, volcanoes, rains, winds, lightning, fire. I have said for a long, long time, plasma, which is lightning and fire, is not part of the creation. If you think you're going to cook hamburgers um, in the restoration of all things, you're going to cook anything. There, fire is instability. Lightning is instability. I have, an over, I have a charge, and it has, to, it has to rectify. It has to even itself. Newton's law. <sighs> 
So uh, we have floods and thermodynamics. I'd be writing 2LT on the board right now. If I had a board and I had a pen and I could see. Which is weird. I have a gnat now that just flies around. And whenever I look at the gnat, what does the gnat do, Marie? It moves. That's right. You can, the gnat is smarter than me. There's nothing I can do. I see the gnat right here, right now. And I'm trying to kill the rat, gnat. But every time I look at it, it moves. My eyesight is not dependable. But we're... There is a curse. There is a statement of curse woven into the earth that reduces the complex into the simple. Think of it this way. He says, dust. It'll all go back to dust. Humans go back to dust. Everything humans make goes back to dust. It all goes back to dust. You need to know that's the plan. That is how it is now established. God intends for man to know this. In order to detach man from the fallen ground, the cursed earth. That's the plan. Man loves, look at the movements in this country of earth worship. They will starve people to death in order to Look at, let's be political for a second. Look at the fires in California. People died. Hundreds of people died. Because they're worshiping the earth. They worship, the Bible says, they will worship the creation instead of the creator. And God is cursed this earth. You have to, eventually, all of this question, this cursed creation, worshiping a cursed Cursed creation, eventually that will lead us to physical reality, the physical realm versus the spiritual realm. That's what's happening here. Where is your love? Is it the spiritual or is it the temporal? No permanency means temporary, means temporal. If something is temporal, it has an expiration in its essence. Then if it has an expiration, then what is it? It doesn't exist. Does that make sense? In order to exist, it cannot be temporary. If it doesn't exist, then it doesn't truly have reality. It may have a purpose. What is the purpose for the physical elements here? What is the purpose? It allows us to to do what? Manifest the spiritual. It testifies of God. But ultimately, it is not reality in the sense of what is reality. We'll get to that in a second. Philosophers for ages have insisted the physical reality is inferior to the spiritual reality. It goes back to Descartes hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He was right. The Bible teaches that it is the spiritual reality, not the physical, that contains and possesses meaning, value, and worth. Mankind thinks otherwise. Into what? Truth is exposed. Earthquakes expose the fragility of the physical. The earth is cursed for man's sake. The deep implication of this need to be considered. God uses earthquakes as signs at times of great significance. That tells us that earthquakes reflect the deficiency of the earth. While he is resurrecting himself. While he is going through his crucifixion process that he is in authority over, there are earthquakes that are contrasted with those great events. Note Second Peter three ten through thirteen. I'll read it here in a second, and perhaps that is the culmination of the book of Joel. In in Second Peter three ten through thirteen. Peter explains the day of the Lord from Joel 1.15 and Joel 2.1. You see, the day of the Lord isn't simple. What did you think? It's very, very complicated. I don't even know how to tell you. Let me put it this way. You shouldn't be surprised by that. It has layers. So I'll try to explain it quickly. There is the day of the Lord, and then there is the day of the Lord. With me so far? 
hope not, both of which comprise the day of the Lord. You can thank me later for cleaning all that up. That's my job, highly trained religious professional. Let me read Second Peter 3, uh, 10 through 13. I don't know. It's Peter and John, as you know, we're going to get into Peter and John. Peter becomes a genius, an unbelievable genius. When you read First and Second Peter, you go, this is the guy who looked like an idiot in the Gospels. But here he is now. But the day of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord. He's talking about. But it may or not may or may not be the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, they have no what? Permanency. Don't love them. Doesn't say that, I threw that in. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What is he saying? The physical reality will be melted, dissolved. Know that. Understand what it's for. Don't try to make it something that it's never going to be and never should be. What manner of persons ought you be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, a day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. First uh, Thessalonians. Read that. Uh, five. Oh, Second Thessalonians, because I can't see. It's not my fault. <sighs> but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, but for yourselves know perfectly, know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. Notice the difference between the two days of the Lord. Peter's got a day of the Lord that is what? The the melting, the dissolving of the heavens and the earth. And he says, quit loving this. He doesn't say that. It's implied. Get Get a perspective, a spiritual perspective. Get off the physical perspectives. But here's a different day of the Lord. But yet it's the same day of the Lord. Does that make sense? That's how it works. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As the labor pains upon a pregnant woman, then they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 21. What I'm bringing up is days of the Lord. And now, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, the real tabernacle of God. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and, they, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Obviously, God has intentions for the cursed earth. 
There's a brief summary of what they are. The Genesis 3.17 earth is cursed. And I am more so obviously connecting the cursing of the earth to the instability that surrounds us, but more specifically the shaking of the ground. The ground can't be trusted. It should never be trusted. It is corrupted. It is unstable. It is colliding. As you know, it is exploding. And we are shown the eternal, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the internal and external manifestations of the cursed earth every day, all throughout the world. And our task, every time it happens, is to say what? The earth is cursed. Genesis 3.17. Adam was not cursed. The earth is cursed. Why? Genesis 3.17 is why the earth is cursed. That won't be for me either, but it's much cooler than the other ring. Did you turn that off in your pocket without looking? That's impressive. If I had a cell phone and I don't have a cell phone because it's an antichrist locator system, and I don't think that's a good idea, you know, okay, Google, what's the difference? Google is facilitating things that are awful. Let's just be honest about it. Now they will come after me and they won't know who I am, except for that Facebooky thing. But uh, if you told me when I was going to be this age that uh, there would be one world government, one world economic system, and it would be cashless, I would say, well, that's exactly what the Bible predicts. But, you know, when is it going to happen? Well, here we go. Google is replicating omnipresence in China. They're not accomplishing it, but they're trying to accomplish it. They're helping the Chinese pretend it's real. It's not omnipresence. It's a counterfeit. Google is helping them do it. That is the work of wickedness. Is what will the communists do with this? What communists always do. Kill people with it. I wouldn't want to be on their side. Genesis 3.17 is why the earth is cursed. The earth is cursed for our sakes. Again, Adam not cursed. Instead, the earth was cursed. And we see, can see the aftermath of this profound truth. It is for us to reason why it is so. Because again, it is so. Earthquakes are so because of Genesis 3.17. Man is completely helpless when the ground moves. What should we do? What can we do? My plywood box cannot prevail against sifting sand and moving ground. I need something that won't move. I need the unmovable, the unchanging, the immutable. That something is not a something. That something is a someone. That is the point. Okay, quickly. Why is God, Jesus Christ, glad that Lazarus is dead and I was not there? Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis, John 11, 14 through 15. He says that. Jesus Christ, God himself, the omnipresent Lord, God Almighty, he says, I was not there. That's mysterious. That means it's cool. It means we have something really great here. What does God mean when he says, I was not there? When I say, I was not there, that means I was not there. When God says, I was not there, does it mean he was not there? He is unconstrained by time and space. Is there a there that he cannot be there? Worked all day on that question. (laughs) Had to beg for the laugh. (laughs) No. Uh, a, a fantastic rendition of a tepid laugh. It's brilliantly done. <laughs> you, do you practice? It shows. Very impressive. No, is the answer to that, their question. He is always there. He is the absolute observer. All things consist in him. So he has to be there. If he is not there, there is no there there. 
had way too much fun with this, didn't I? Which is a discussion then on the existence of nothing. Or if you prefer, is nothing really something? Did God make nothing? Did he create nothing? They also say, who made space? You'll see that question asked all the time. Or did space get made? And I'm kind of digressing, sort of, but not really. Hopefully you see the problem with Jesus Christ, the I am, saying, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. How do you solve it? This is Genesis 3.17. John 11.14.15 question, because they're together. God himself in the flesh is glad for their sakes. Why would he be glad? The sign of Jonah in the way it pertains to Lazarus, is about to be exposed. His disciples are going to see it. And God is glad. The Jewish mourners are going to see it. Martha and Mary see it. The embalmers that had to unwrap Lazarus, they saw it. The ones who placed the stone are going to move the stone. Many of the Jews that had come to Mary will witness the seventh sign of John's gospel. And God rejoices and is glad. And just prior to that, of course, what you'd expect, what does he do there? He weeps and he groans. So I have this juxtapositioning. I have a joyful God. What makes God joyful? Belief. What makes him weep? Unbelief. And it is on display in John 11. Had Christ been physically present? Uh Uh-oh, there's a clue. Aha. Had Christ been physically present, because he loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, John 11, 5. Note that he's not physically present now, is he? Look around. He's not physically present. Is he here? That's a simple question. Why isn't Christ physically present now? This takes you back to the Matthew 12 issue of the Pharisees proclaiming him to be Christ. God is physically present in front of them and they reject him on the basis that he's really Satan. So you have a physically present God rejected by the nation of Israel on the basis that he is Satan himself. That tells you a great deal about what's going on here in John 11. Why isn't Christ physically present at the death of Lazarus. He's he he's here. He, he's not physically present now, but he's here. And if he isn't here, there would be no here or there. If you answer, if you understand the physically present Christ versus the the. In other words, what am I talking about? The, the offices of Christ, the prophets, the prophet, the high priest, and the king. Two of those, he's what? Physically present. One of them, he's present. Because he can't be anything but present. Answer that, and you will answer John eleven fourteen 14 through 15. Let us rise and be dismissed. <laughs>